0: Welcome back. It's Reading Through the New Testament. This is Pastor Spencer with you. Thank you for joining us. We are reading through the book of Hebrews. This is, uh, we're reading Hebrews 7 through 11. 7-11. And uh, October 23rd through October 29th uh, this week. So uh, we're in the heart of the book of Hebrews. Um, We'll be in Hebrews for one more week uh, as we get ready to go into the book of James. Uh, So Hebrews 7 through 11. We talked last week about how Hebrews is written by someone we don't know for sure. Um, Written to a group of Jewish Christians in Rome uh, who are being tempted to leave Jesus behind and go back to the things that they can see to go back to a synagogue that is legal because Christianity isn't legal. Remember, Judaism was a tolerated religion by the Roman Empire. Christianity wasn't. Um, and so they're tempted to go away. And you think about Jesus in the Gospel of John where he, uh, many of his disciples were told people who professed, you could say they were professing believers of sorts, uh, they, they abandoned Jesus in John chapter 6. Many of them no longer walked with him and Jesus turns and asks the 12, he says, do you guys want to go away as well? Do you want to go with them? And that's kind of what's going on here in the whole book of Hebrews is, do you want to go away as well? And then Peter's answer to whom else shall we go? We have, we are convinced that you're the Holy one of God and you have the words of eternal life. And so that's what the writer to the Hebrews is showing them. Uh, you want to go there? To whom else are you going to go? You're going to go back to Moses? Jesus is better than Moses. Are you going to go to Joshua? Well, Joshua never gave them rest, but Jesus gives us eternal rest. You want to go back to the angels? Some superpower beings? Listen, the angels, they proclaimed Jesus. Jesus is better than them. Uh, as we're going to see now, uh, do you want to go back to the priests? you want to go to the priests in Jerusalem? The Levitical priests? Jesus is better than them. Do you want to go to the sacrifices because they they make your mind and your conscience feel better, but they can never actually cleanse your conscience? Do you really want to go back to those things? Jesus has cleansed your conscience by the once for all sacrifice of himself. Do you want to go back to the law, to the Old Testament? Listen, Jesus is better than that. And what he's brought in is so much better. To whom else do you want to go? And that's really what the book of Hebrews is all about, saying there's nowhere else to go. He has the words of eternal life. He is the Holy One of God. He is everything we need. We are complete in Him and in Him alone. So that's where we're at. So uh, what can we learn from Hebrews this week in 7 through 11? Well, again, I want you to be reminded we're reading from Bob Hiller, who is a co-host on the White Horse Inn, and he had these these, uh, uh, the things I'm reading for our devotional purposes, they were actually originally addressed for pastors uh, as they help prepare sermons on these passages of Scripture uh, through Hebrews. Uh, but I have taken them and adjusted them, edited them um, for our purposes. And again, as you'll be reminded, he uh, is a, a, con- a confessional believing Lutheran Christian and pastor so there are obvious differences that we would have but they're not differences regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ they're not differences regarding that we are uh, both committed that Christ alone saves and that faith alone is the way in which we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior that Christ alone saves apart from the works that we do it's all of grace all of faith through by receiving uh, the person and the work of Christ so Bob Hiller, uh, that's who we're using here. I got these from the 1517 website, which you can look at. I think it's 1517.org. You can check that out uh, as well. They've got a ton of other uh, resources and podcasts and articles and so on. Okay? So, this week we want to talk about in chapter 7, Jesus is greater than the priesthood. He's greater than the priesthood. Uh, He writes this, The more I read Hebrews, the more I find the Old Testament coming alive. The authors of the New Testament, and most strikingly, the author of Hebrews, see Jesus everywhere in the history of Israel. It is, as Martin Luther says elsewhere, they found Christ on every page of Scripture. The people, the events, the preaching, the hymn book, that is the Psalms, and even the institutions all offer a shadowy picture of Jesus' person and work. Following Hebrews, three institutions stand out from many theologians, prophets, priests, and kings. So our author introduces Jesus by saying, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Namely, so Jesus is the prophet, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus is the priest. So not only is the prophet, he's the priest making purification for sins. He's set down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is the king. So we have Jesus the prophet, Jesus the priest, Jesus the king, even in the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. Uh, in this passage, we are focused on Jesus our priest. Jesus is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Hebrews has made this case earlier in speaking of that mysterious king and priest, Melchizedek. As we have discussed before, many early Jewish Christians were tempted to return to Judaism due to the persecution they were facing. The author of Hebrews would respond by saying that they would be leaving the reality of Christ, which the whole of the Old Testament foreshadowed, including the priesthood. The Jews may respond, but what about the priesthood? Jesus was Jewish from the tribe of Judah. But he was not a Levite from the tribe of Levi. Thus, he came from a kingly lineage, not a priestly one. By returning to Judaism, we would have our priests back. Now, that's a, now remember, right, that's a very good argument that Bob Hiller is pointing out. right? That's, that's exactly what they would have done. And that's something the author to the Hebrews has to deal with, this objection. But hang on, Jesus isn't a Levite. So how can he be our priest if he's not a Levite? right, Moses uh, instituted... That the Levites, it was through Moses that God said the Levites are to be the priestly uh, uh, clan, the the tribe that the priests will come from. He's not descended from Aaron, so how can Jesus be our priest and make atonement for us and intercede for us? Well, that's what we're here for. Uh, Hiller continues, Hebrews argues Jesus is of a priestly order higher than and prior to that of the Levitical priesthood. After all, Abraham was the ancestor of the Levites and he bowed and worshipped God through a priest who was prior to Levi, namely Melchizedek. What is more, since Abraham is the father of all Israel, he is greater than the Levites. So if the greater father appeals to a priest, that priesthood must be greater than the priesthood of the Levites. The author of Hebrews is arguing Jesus is a priest, not in the order of Levi, but of Melchizedek. Just as their father Abraham worshipped through this priesthood, so should his descendants. Jesus brings the greater priesthood. First of all, Jesus, our priest, prays. Priests offer up prayers on on behalf of God's people. The passage begins by demonstrating Jesus' superiority to the Levitical priesthood in that he has conquered death and will never die again. Thus, his priesthood never ends. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever, chapter 7, verses 23 through 24. What this means is your priest prays for you eternally. He lives to do it. He always lives to make intercession for them, verse 25. Secondly, Jesus, our priest, offers the perfect sacrifice, The Levites were responsible for offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. However, they also had to offer sacrifices for their own sins before they would be able to do it for others. Jesus was without sin, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. The law appointed men in their weakness as high priests, but the gospel appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus offered his life as a perfect sacrifice which covers sins once for all. But Jesus not only prays and offers the perfect sacrifice, but thirdly, Jesus our priest, preaches. The third and final task of the preach of the, of the priest is preaching. Preaching should be understood not just as finger wagging morality lectures, but more so as a proclamation and distribution of God's gifts. Though our passage in Hebrews 7 does not deal directly with this aspect of the priesthood, it is worth noting that the word of oath, which appointed Jesus as a son who has been made perfect forever, was not preached just for his sake, but for yours and mine. Jesus sends his word to his preachers so that they might distribute the benefits from Christ's cruciform altar. Despite sloppy rhetoric that suggests we do not need a priest because we are not Roman Catholic, Hebrews proclaims you absolutely do need a priest, and you have one. This priest is Jesus. Hebrews is not telling its readers that they should not go back to Judaism because they no longer need a priest, but that the particular priesthood of the Levites is obsolete. It finds its fulfillment in the greater priesthood of Jesus Christ. In a world wondering where God is and what he is doing, Jesus, our priest, who offered up his life as a sacrifice for us, who prays before the Father with holes in his hands and your name on his lips, and who distributes all the blessings of life and salvation in his word and baptism in the Lord's Supper, is exceptionally good news indeed. So Jesus is our priest. I really like that point that he says, The writer to the Hebrews doesn't say, listen, why are you going back to those priests? You don't need a priest. No, that's not what he says, does he? He doesn't say, you don't need a priest. He says, listen, that priest that you had over in Jerusalem, those priests, those are nothing. Those are bad priests compared to what we've got in Jesus. We have a better priest, a greater priest. And I personally find that very comforting because one of the things we need as Christians is someone that we can pour our troubles out to. Someone, you know, it's, it is interesting, right, that Catholics, Roman Catholics, and I think even some Lutheran churches have these kind of things too still, but, you know, the, the confessional box, right, where you would go and confess things to, a, for instance, a Roman Catholic priest um, who supposedly has the authority to forgive you of your sins. But one of the things that we would say is, well, uh, there there are times right, where we we are burdened with sin, and we do need to go talk to a brother or sister in the Lord, um not because um, they're a clergyman or whatever, but we're troubled, and we need to go and talk to somebody to get some advice and or maybe it's simply to get something off our chest and and uh, talk about it and someone to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. Um, that that is that is one thing that happens. But also, we always have Jesus available to pray to. And so in your private devotions, there are many things that are not appropriate to share with um, other people, right? Private or secret sins of our minds maybe or or things like that. And it's important at at all of our sins, but but also those those private sins that that are not going to be edifying for everybody else to know about um, or what's in our minds or our hearts or our motivations or this or that. Um, we always should tell them to Jesus because he cares and he can heal us. And Jesus isn't going to be tainted by us confessing. So when we confess our sins to other people, we might start tainting them because they can't bear that load. But Jesus can bear that load. Pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to Jesus. Confess him. He, he, he doesn't get tired of listening to you. He, he will not be tainted by them and he will also, he has the power to forgive us and to remind you of his promises, that he has been given authority to forgive sins. Jesus Christ, our Lord, and he does it perfectly. He preaches to us. He's the sacrifice and he prays for us. So we do need a priest. Hebrews is saying, you got a better one in Jesus than anything you could have ever gotten under the old covenant. So turn to Christ and live. Okay, So Jesus is, is a greater priest, but also in ta- Hebrews chapter 9 now, we see Jesus is greater than the sacrifices. He's greater than the sacrifices. Uh, Bob Hiller writes this, This particular chapter of Hebrews discusses how the priests would use the blood from the sacrifices to sanctify God's people. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Sanctification is a central concept to the Christian life. There's a great deal of discussion over what the term actually means. Though there is much to be said in the New Testament about sanctification as growing in grace. Here in Hebrews, it has more of the sense of being set apart for God's purposes. To be sanctified in the blood of Christ means to be cleansed from sin and impurity so that you might be brought into the presence of God for faithful worship. And in the same way, the priest sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Hebrews is delivering the wonderful gospel declaration that Christ Jesus is the great high priest and the once for all sacrifice whose blood cleanses us from our sins. He is the greater sacrifice because in his dying, his blood was shed once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In the Lord's supper, the blood of the sacrifice is promised and shown forth and thus sprinkled on all who believe. Thus, Christ sprinkles his blood on us and sanctifies us, making us saints. After all, to be a saint is not to be morally superior to everyone else, but it is to be sanctified by the blood, set apart by God's grace alone for his holy purposes. Hebrews presents Jesus' sanctifying work by comparing his work with that of Israel's high priest on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would appear before the people at the altar to present the bull and a goat as sin offerings, his appearance in God's presence with their blood by his entry into the inner shrine, and his second appearance before the people at the altar for burnt offering in order to cleanse them from impurity. These appearances serve as analogies for the work Jesus carries out for his saints. First of all, his appearance in the flesh and his incarnation and crucifixion. Jesus has come in the flesh to sanctify us, but this work is surprising because he does not come to merely teach us how to conduct ourselves in a more sanctified manner. He comes to actually make us holy by his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This sacrifice is greater than all the other sacrifices as it has finally and ultimately, once for all, paid the penalty for our sins since it is true that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins Jesus shed his blood to do just that forgive by shedding his blood for you you are sanctified and forgiven so he appeared in the flesh in his incarnation and in his crucifixion but he also appeared in heaven in his exaltation when he was raised up and ascended and went back right Uh, The high priest would go before God in the holy places made with hands to present the blood of the sacrifices on behalf of the congregation. Jesus, in a greater fashion, enters God's presence, not in an earthly temple which serves as a shadow of God's presence, but in heaven itself. There, before God, he stands as the representative of his church. What is more, he is doing this now. This means, as we gather around the altar on Sunday for worship, Christ absolves our sins and sprinkles us with his blood. So we are ushered into our father's presence. The actual body and blood that were sacrificed for us are given to cleanse us from our sins so we might enter God's presence with our great high priest. So he appeared in the flesh. He appeared in heaven. So God's, the sacrifice of Jesus is given for us and that's what we are, that's what's represented to us. The bo- the bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper, we don't believe actually turn into the body and blood of the Lord like the Roman Roman Catholic Church would. But at the same time, while it, there's, well, it's not that the bread and the cup turn into the body and blood of Christ. They're like the wedding ring. They picture and show forth and exhibit to us that body and blood and remind us that as certainly as we eat this bread and drink this cup. So by faith, all who believe receive that Savior who did shed his real blood and who did die in that real body, which has been raised again. That is our salvation. He is our salvation in his appearance in the flesh and in his appearance now in heaven. But lastly, his appearance at the end in his second coming just as the high priest would return to the people to bring them cleansing Jesus will return to take us into his eternal presence though we experience this now by faith and the divine service which by that by that by the way he means a worship service that's what they call their worship service the divine service then it will be by sight so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him Having finished the purification work for his people, he is coming back together, his purified saints to himself. And all we grasp now by faith, we will then have by sight. So Jesus is greater than the priests. He's greater than the sacrifices. And lastly, now in Hebrews chapter 10, he is greater than the law. He's greater than the law. Um, And so here, Bob Hiller writes these things. And this is a, uh, as we've been walking through our worship series about, you know, and Pastor Tim talked about why do we come to church? Why do we gather? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, particularly verse 24 and 25, about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Those are very appropriate words to, to highlight the importance that God places upon us being in church with his people, to being gathered together, to being congregated, uh, with, with his people. And similarly here, this is this uh, section of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that, and that's where uh, Bob Hiller kind of goes here um, in this section of, of uh, in this passage. He says this, COVID has forced many of us in the church to start asking some pretty challenging questions. What is the point of gathering for worship? What is the role of the church at all? Why can we not just watch the service online? What difference does it make if we are gathered in a building? The church has a tough time with these questions, due in no small part to cheap shibboleths about church attendance, which have become full-blown doctrinal stances. This week's reading from Hebrews corrects such flimsy cliches like, the church is not a building but a people, or don't go to church, be the church, or my faith is not about rituals but a personal relationship with Jesus. Though they may have a sniff of truth in them, such sentiments fail to grasp the rich and profound importance of God's sheep gathering as one body around his word and altar to be served by their good shepherd himself. After all, if gathering for worship is not foundational for what it means to be the church, why does the Holy Spirit admonish us to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near, so those are really good questions, right? And we've had to ha- face those. And Pastor Tim has been trying to uh, uh, help us to think through those things as well and, and consider why do we get together? What is the importance, right? And our, the past few years have really brought those questions to the forefront of American Christians um, and maybe Christians around the world who have been faced with this pandemic. Uh, but we've been faced with those questions and, and as he points out we hear these kinds of clichés right um the church is not a building but a people don't go to church be the church my faith is not about rituals but a personal relationship with jesus statements like that you hear often and one of the things that that can do right is where people will um people can and as he and, and by the way bob Hillary points out there is little kernels of truth in each of these statements but they're so simplistic that they actually become dangerous, I think. Because then what you have is that some some people can take that to mean, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and it's just about my personal relationship. Therefore, as long as I'm uh, I'm okay with Jesus personally, I don't need to be in church. I don't have a religion of rituals, right? Because one of the things we're very concerned about, particularly in our Baptist tradition, I would say, is formalism and uh, dead orthodoxy or... Um, just going through the rituals. And those are dangers, definitely. Don't want to deny that those things can, uh, you, you can slip into that. We see the people of God in the Old Testament slipped into that. On the other hand, we want to be very careful um, that, that we don't go so far in our concerns because there is truth in those things that we neglect to meet together because there is something unique that you get as a believer, when you are gathered together with the people of God in a local church, there's something that happens there that does not happen whenever you are by yourself. And we need to be very clear about that. There's something unique um, about being with the saints. It's very important to be remembered, To remember, by the way, the early Christians did not have personal Bibles. The early Christians did not have podcasts to listen to. They did not have radio ministries to listen to. They did not have online articles about the Bible to read. They didn't have devotional Bibles or devotional magazines to read. So, and by the way, God did not, no, 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 we're not saying those things are bad. Those things are good and we're grateful for them. I am grateful that I have a personal Bible. I am grateful that I have books to read about the Christian faith and may, there's online resources, there's podcasts. I'm we're grateful for those things. But it's very important to be reminded that people were Christians before those things. And also it's important to be reminded of the fact that God by not God could have if he wanted to, right? If he had desired to, he could have given them the ability to do all of those things in the first century. God is able to do whatever he wants. But God gave them the most important thing that was necessary for their Christian life, which is what? Church. Each other. The people of God. A preacher and a pastor to shepherd them and preach the word of God to them. Uh, the message of the gospel, which they heard as they were together as the people of God to hear his word read publicly, to hear his word taught publicly, to take the Lord's Supper publicly, to be baptized, to sing songs and address each other publicly. So this should really make us realize that God has ordained it in the New Testament. All of those things, when you read verses like, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, keep going what that means by addressing each other it doesn't mean the the primary application of that verse as originally understood was meaning in a public setting with each with other people it wasn't primarily meant in your private devotional life memorize scripture now I am not against Scripture memorization. That is a very good thing, and I believe God God is delighted when we memorize His Word. I believe God is delighted when we read our Bibles every day and pray according to the Scriptures in our private lives. I believe God is honored and delighted when we read good books or listen to podcasts or listen to radio ministries that have sermons. I believe He is delighted in those things. At the same time, I don't want us, uh, because that, I, I guess I'm kind of harping on this a little bit, but because I want us to be reminded of the importance of church without denigrating those other things. Let's not over elevate them to an equal place or above the gathering of the saints on the Lord's day. There is something so different. So I think it's very helpful to be reminded of what the earliest Christians, when they hear these words, what's coming in their minds. Again, I'm not, again, I I don't hear what, you know, I'm not saying, but, and Bob Hiller is not saying, it's not wrong. And those other things are very good. But we also want to be reminded of the most important thing, however, is what we get from Christ through other people in the gathering of Christ the saints so do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some so he says this um, continuing on bob Hiller says this despite the nonsense spewed forth by some online theologians namely that the bible never tells us to go to church yes i actually read this on facebook he writes the scriptures depict the church as people gathering for preaching praying baptism lord's supper and service The imagery of the worship service in Scripture is not one of consumers being entertained, but of God's people being gathered around the throne of the Lamb, joining the heavenly chorus of saints and angels to sing God's praise and receive Christ's benefits. Hebrews reminds us you cannot be the church unless you go to church. Going to church, after all, is more about what Christ does for us than it is about what we do, do not do, or even are. To be the church is nothing else than to be sheep-fed and nourished by the good shepherd. The life of faith depends on Christ feeding us with his word, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. This week is a joyful opportunity to remember exactly what Christ does when he gathers his sheep to himself. The author of Hebrews preaches Christ for us, past, present, and future. He begins by preaching the sacrifice of Jesus in the past, once for all, for the forgiveness of sins. The emphasis is on the substitutionary atonement, wherein Christ's death on the cross, 2,000 years ago, past, covers all our sins. Thus, there is no need for any more sacrifices. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any sacrifice or any offering for sin. So, if Christ's work is completed in the past, why do we need to go to church in the present? Because it is there where Christ exercises his reign from God's right hand, Hebrews 10, 12. He sends his Holy Spirit in the preaching of the word to distribute the forgiveness earned in the once-for-all sacrifice. What is more, Christ will return in the future when his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. But as we see the day drawing near, We are beset by trials, temptations, doubts, and fears. Christ has given us his church not only to deliver forgiveness to us, but to sustain us to the end with our brothers and sisters. There, as one body, we confess our hope and encourage one another to love and good works. We are not to neglect this gathering because it is within the body where Christ, who paid the full atonement price with his blood, reigns and distributes his gifts which keep us in the faith gathering together with our brothers and sisters is the very work of god to sustain us into life everlasting that is why we go to church and that's a very good way to end i think highlighting again the relationship between um, the power what we're doing in local church uh, in our local church settings, in our congregations, and to value that because that is the means by which God keeps us in the faith. It's so easy to drift away, isn't it? And the sad reality is, is as the writer of the Hebrews knows, if we drift away from church, it very well could be a very real sign that we have drifted away from Christ because that is the place where Christ keeps us in the faith. That is the means God has chosen to use the gathered assembly of God's people where his word is preached, his baptism is is given, the Lord's Supper is given. Those things are not, by the way, baptism and the Lord's Supper, while they do not um, regenerate us, they don't cause us to be born again. They do confirm our faith and they're not just like nice little extra add-ons, add-ons to the Christian faith. Um, I think early Christians, if they knew sometimes the way that we, we approach baptism and the Lord's Supper, would kind of be shocked, um, uh, potentially at the low value that sometimes we place upon them. Um, while they do not save us, while they do not have the power uh, in and of themselves to change our hearts, God the Holy Spirit does use them to confirm and remind us and show forth and preach to us His grace that he has given to us in Jesus Christ. So whenever we are gathered together and we are seeing and hearing these things, God has not done it just so because he doesn't have anything better for us to do. He's done it because this is the way that Jesus Christ is shepherding us as his people, reminding us of who he is, reminding us of what he's made us uh, and reminding us of his relationship to us, that he is for us, that he is with us and that he will keep us to the last day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Next week, we'll wrap up our time in the book of Hebrews, begin heading into the epistle of James. Thank you for listening. Take care. God bless.